Now for our first message, Mr. Sean Witt. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon, everyone. What's going on outside? It's, I don't, it's not all wet. It's like dry. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Beautiful, though. I'm really am happy for this beautiful weather. Excuse me just a second. After singing all those songs, I need to get my whistle a little wet. Since it's not wet outside and dry, we've got to have some water. It's much better. Okay, so first of all, does God have your attention? In this present age, we can lose our focus and become lazy and easily distracted by what's around us. And we can start making bad decisions that are not in line with God's plan. If we start compromising, we can allow chinks in our armor. We have a warning. And that warning is in Romans 12, verse 2. Let's please turn there to Romans 12, verse 2. Give you a second to turn there. Prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does it mean to be transformed? Excuse me, I'm going to read that whole verse again just to make sure I got it. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what does it mean to be transformed and to renew your mind? Well, I looked up the definition of the word transformed, uh, dictionary.com, and it, it says to change in form, appearance, or structure, metamorphose, to change in condition, nature, or character, to convert to change into another substance, to transmute. So how do we come transformed? Transforming is what God wants us to do, but we can't do it on our own. We need God's help to transform. He helps us with transforming, but we have to be on his wavelength, using his Holy Spirit to help us make right choices. And we do this by staying in constant prayer, Bible study, and meditating with him. And also having fellowship with our brethren. That is how we can transform. You know, we've heard messages before about not being conformed to this world. My purpose today is to discuss how, how God reacts to us and intervenes in our lives when we start to be conformed to this world by starting to make wrong choices. So my point is to see how God reacts to us and intervenes in our lives when we start to go astray. Please turn with me again to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, make, you shall not make for yourself any carved image and likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is merciful, and he is very forgiving, but God is jealous. He's jealous. He wants our total attention. 
And just like a child, sometimes we need to get a spanking from him so that he can get our attention. Now turn with me to Proverbs 3, verse 11 through 12. My child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you, for the Lord corrects those he loves. He loves us. He wants to correct us to help us. Just as a father corrects his child in whom he delights. We need to be corrected at times, or we would not learn right from wrong. God uses adversity and accountability in our lives to get our attention when we go astray. You know, that's one of the big problems in the world right now. I mean, not just in our own country, but around the world. There's no accountability anymore. Everybody points fingers at everybody else. You know, we hear all the time of individuals or um, corporations or governments. They're all pointing their finger at everybody else, not taking accountability for their own actions. And that's a problem in these end times. Turn with me now also to an example of a situation that escalated out of control for a man where God had to step in uh, to hold him accountable for his actions and to intervene in his life. We're going to turn to Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And this is Nathan's parable and David's confession. Then Lord, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said to him, There were two men in the city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb, which he had brought, he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his food, it drank from his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man, who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd, to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die, and he shall restore four, fourfold for the lamb, because he did not, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you're the man. Thus says the Lord of God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if you had, and if that had not been, if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. You have taken the wife of Uriah Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord. So he had done you know, quite a bit of bad choices there. Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born shall surely die. When David was told that his son was going to die, he started crying out to the Lord, to the Lord, and started fasting and praying for the situation. When he found out that his son had died, he accepted God's will, and he moved on at that time, because he knew that was God's will for the situation. You know, but something to think about, about the sin, not did it just affect David, but there was many ramifications to it. Uh, Bathsheba lost her husband. She lost her son. And all of Israel is deeply affected by this as well. This was a great sin. What we choose to do does not affect us. Put this down just a little bit, see if that makes a difference. Okay, hopefully that'll help if I was bumping it or too loud. What we choose to do does not just affect us, it deeply impacts those around us also. Primarily our families take a big hit. But our friends in the church can be affected by our choices as well. The outcome of this sin against God did not just happen in one day. It was over time. With more and more bad decisions built upon each of them over time. You know, we all know the beginning of this story without having to go into the details. But my point is that it was a wrong choice in the beginning and it continued to spiral out of control until God had to step in and intervene to fix the situation. You know, a little bit of sin, as we know, leavens the whole lump. Sin starts small in the mind, and it grows from there until it's brought under. If it's not brought under subjection, it grows and gets bigger and bigger and becomes a bigger problem. So we have to be diligent and cautious about what we are doing. We can't be bumbling around in our empty box. I don't know how many of you saw the the marriage video a few years ago where um, the pastor that was conducting the video talked about uh, men being in their empty box. And that is basically where you don't really even have any thought in your head. You're just basically just sitting there being content. But we've got to be careful about being in our empty box. We've got to make sure that we are allowing, you know, when a bad thought or something comes to our mind, we need to, you know, not just men, but women as well. Everybody needs to bring these thoughts in, into subjection, or, and um, that's where it starts, though. So we've got to be careful what we're doing. We have to have intentional dedication to God. These examples are in the Bible for a, for a reason. You know, King David was a man after God's own heart, and he responded to God's discipline, and he repented, and he took accountability for his sins. He went through many great trials, God knew David's heart, and God did what it took to turn his heart back to him. Sin is very deceitful, and after a while, you can start thinking to yourself, what you're doing is okay. You can start to justify it. And in David's case, he started to build walls around his heart. And God had to 
tear those walls down. God had to intervene and help David to tear those walls down around his heart because after a while you start to become callous and these things that you start doing, you start to think they're okay. So let's turn now to another example of where God had to intervene to get someone else's attention as well. We're going to turn to Daniel 4, verses 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for my honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, and the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall drive, they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, and his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. At the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and king of heaven, all whose works are truth, his ways justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put them down. You know, even after Daniel had prophesied to King Nebuchadnezzar what would happen to him, he still didn't pay full attention until God stepped in and got his attention. That is what it took for him to turn his life around and praise God. You know, remember, God is jealous for us, and he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. So if we're not paying attention, he's going to get our attention one way or another. You know, as Curtis mentioned last week in his message, God's desires versus human desires, man looks to outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knows what's in our heart and what is lacking and what it takes to get our full attention. One of the greatest examples of getting one's attention and turning their life around was the example of Paul being struck blind as, on his way to Damascus, as Matt had mentioned last week in his, in his message as well, which was entitled, Following Paul. I really liked one of Matt's quotes. He had said in his message, God has great grace for us. And he turned um, the greatest enemy into to God's champion. Because Paul was doing all kinds of horrible things before um, Christ got his attention. And he was blinded. And 
at that point, Paul had turned his life around for, for God and for Christ. And he was transformed at that point. There are many more examples that we could use. There's an example of Moses striking the rock, and then he was not allowed to go into the promised land as a consequence for that. And they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And then there's an example of Jonah. He was told to go to Nineveh, and he ran away. And because of that, he was swallowed by the, the big fish. And you know, there's more of the story that goes on from there. And God intervened in all of these cases to turn around these people to rededicate themselves to him. In conclusion, let's turn to our final scripture, which is going to be Romans 8, verse 28. Romans 8, verse 28. As we know, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We have seen examples from God's word where he has had to intervene in people's, and get people's attention. Don't kid yourself in thinking that God doesn't intervene in our lives today. It's not just in the Old and New Testament. God is still alive and well, and he is still intervening on our behalf. He uses some different tactics today. Uh, none of us will probably be turned into a wild beast and sent out into the field, but you, know, you never know. <laughs> God will never turn his back on us. It is us that turns our back on him. And he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. <laughs>